the funeral. She thought Gerald possibly went, but that might be no more than formal respect for someone he did know, though not closely. A bit of a rally-round to convince his relatives he'd been grandly popular, except with the hoodlum, or hoodlums who'd killed him. Esther herself didn't go. That reference in the profile to possible dealing kept her away. She did not give send-offs to pushers, even to muck-up masquerading pushers, though in fact no confirmation ever came that Tasker traded drugs, neither as an earner nor a cover. But funerals of the murdered could be tricky for police. Death had its divisions and subdivisions. Only if victims rated as wholly blameless would officers on the case attend, out of respect. Not if the life snuffed had been dubious, quasi-criminal. Criminal. Esther could enjoy funerals. The hit-or-miss stab at dignity. Phoniness in brilliant bulk. The loud, brave, creaky expressions of hope. But she avoided this one, and didn't send anybody else. She could have wished Gerald hadn't gone either. Supposing he had, that is. His role as principal bassoon with prestigious orchestras brought a certain fame. People noticed him. And he would wear those incandescent bow ties, possibly even to a funeral. Many knew his wife to be a big-time cop. At present, Esther's role as detective chief superintendent in the Metropolitan Police put the criminal life of a large, undocile slab of London under her eye. Later she would leave the Met, and take on even bigger pieces of geography when she'd been raised to assistant chief constable and worked in two out-of-London forces. For now, though, this. Gerald's possible attendance at the funeral might not look as bad as if she'd appeared there herself, but it was an embarrassment. Gerald specialised in embarrassments. He regarded it as the duty of an artist, such as himself, to come up with them. Artists shocked. For instance, Van Gogh's ear. They weren't all artists in Gerald's social group. He might be the only real one. Though there'd be some amateurs and dilettantes having a go at music, writing, painting. But she assumed they'd all be educated, male, big thinking, large talking, opinionated, stupidly and perilously blurt-prone. They might well have welcomed in a freelance journalist who sold to the major papers, and who'd been at Oxford on the humanities side, not engineering or anything useful, benausic, as Gerald would say. They liked to pub-crawl by taxi, and especially to pubs in dodgy areas, including on the Whitson and Temperate Park estates. He and his mates believed this showed they were bold, not timorous or narrow or miserably bourgeois. They were, of course, bourgeois, but not timorously, narrowly, or miserably bourgeois, in their view. Esther regarded that kind of carry-on as okay, but Gerald, with drink in him, was liable to open his gob a bit wide, and could say things in these risky bars that might not be life-enhancing, for his own life, that is, or even tactful. Others in his lot might do similar. Being arty, they thought they could speak their piece at full volume if they wanted to, 
and such people liquored up would want to. Convinced that loudness helped prove they were not timorously, narrowly, or miserably bourgeois. For example, they'd most probably sound off with frank and therefore deeply unsafe comments on the death of one of their number in bad circumstances. Gervais Mansipal Tasker, investigative journalist. Esther wished they'd give such pubs the go-by, at least for a while. It wasn't likely, because Gerald would wish to signal he could do whatever he chose to do. Call it artistic license. Call it senseless. Call it naive. These pubs would be listening posts, among their other roles. Wild, unedited conversations between Gerald and his chums might get mentioned upwards to people running the firms. People like Adrian Pallott and Harold Perth Amesbury on Temperate.